We are and always will be a nation of immigrants. Bold men and women yearning for freedom and opportunity who leave their homelands and come to a new country to start their lives over. Hello, 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 aliens and allies. Your friendly Russian is here. This is We the Aliens Podcast, and I'm your host, Sasha Kapustina. Thank you for tuning in. Happy Hispanic Heritage Month, Latinx Heritage Month. Are you celebrating? We continue to celebrate by bringing you a series of conversations with really cool Latinx people. And today on the podcast, Tupac Zapata. He's from Honduras. But to me, he's always Tupac from Echo Park. Echo Park is my favorite Los Angeles neighborhood. I used to live there with my husband for a few years. And it has some very special memories for me. Echo Park is one of the oldest Los Angeles neighborhoods. It's northwest of Los Angeles downtown, right next to famous Silver Lake, and it is a very special place. And that's where I met Tupac, who used to work as a barista at a coffee shop that was on the ground floor of the building my husband and I lived in. It seemed that Tupac knows everyone in the neighborhood, and everyone in the neighborhood knows him, and it's kind of true. In his social media, he's documenting the gentrification of the neighborhood where he has lived for almost 30 years ever since he came to the States. In the 90s, gangs ran the place, and we talk a little bit about what it was like growing up in the neighborhood like that. And somebody described gentrification process to me as follows. First, it's the gangs. Then gays and poor artists move in because they need cheap rents. And then when they open a couple fun bars, hipsters start crawling in. And a couple funky coffee shops later, we are the ones being gentrified out. And that's what happened for us. Now Echo Park is one of the most expensive, fancy schmancy hipster neighborhoods in Los Angeles. And in Tupac's Facebook and Instagram, you can read stories about local shops and small businesses, some of whom have been weathering gentrification and some of whom have to shut down. It's a story of a disappearing neighborhood, uh, which gentrification is a complex issue and Tupac is doing a great job giving it a human face. And now he's also a member of the local Echo Park Neighborhood Council, which I think is great. There are a few people who know and love the place the way he does. And here's my conversation with Tupac. I hope you enjoy it. Um, I remember uh, seeing footage of the LA riots while they were happening while I was back home and being like, whoa, I'm going there. And I would just see like, you know, uh, footage of burning buildings and people looting and people going crazy. And I was like, well, I hope my mom's okay. Cause my mom was here. Oh, and wow. so, so I was just like, but wow, I'm going there. And, uh, so I got here in 92 and, uh, you could tell like the tension was still palpable, you know, in the air. 
and uh, but I just want to talk a little bit about uh, my dad uh, because my dad's from Nicaragua, and my dad was uh, a politician in his region in Nicaragua, mm. uh, and and then in the in the late in 1979, uh, the Sandinista Revolution of Nicaragua started, you know, taking over, and so uh, my my dad was a member of the Somoza Party. From the, the dictator Anastasio Somoza. So your dad was on the side of the dictator. Of oh, the dictator, yes. Uh, that's what they, yeah. And so then uh, the Sandinistas were taking over, so my dad had to uh, leave. And uh, you know, my brother now tells me that he, he could have just stayed, but then again, he would have probably you know served some, uh, jail time, and my dad was not about all of that. So mm-hmm. he fled. He crossed the river into Honduras, and he's like, I'm out. You know, but my dad had a big family. He did have a, uh, a he had five kids. Well, actually, seven. Uh, my dad was kind of a busy guy, uh, and uh, and then he fled to Honduras. But my dad uh, spoke English because he had learned it working with American businessmen and 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 with American companies in Nicaragua. And uh, and then he found a job in in Honduras uh, as a as a teacher teaching English. And that's where he met my mom. And uh, I'm saying this because I recently just lost my dad. Uh, he just passed uh, last Monday uh, to COVID-19. I'm sorry for your loss. He died. My dad. My dad died of COVID-19. I. Uh, yeah. So it's been. It's still pretty fresh. You know. It's just. I, I just sure. yeah. I got back from Florida a week ago, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was, I'm glad I was able to be there and to, and because, and you know, me and my, I didn't grow up with my dad. I, from age three until, until I was 27, I didn't see, I did not see my father. Mm. So there was about 24 years where I did not see him. Mm-hmm. And then, and then 10 years ago, I finally took a trip to Miami and I went to meet him and then we established a relationship with him and we connected, you know. And mm-hmm. and I let go of the re- of some of the resentment that I had grow- grown up with, you know. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great that you had the opportunity to do that. That's amazing. Yeah, That's amazing. and I was able to establish a re- uh, a relationship with my half brothers and sisters also, you know, who embraced me and as one of their own. So. Oh, you're so lucky. Part of the Zapata. I'm blessed to be part of the Zapata clan you know <laughs> yeah looks looks like it's a big one looking from uh your social media um if i can ask you about your dad did you manage to see him at the end i mean yes i did i you know i was uh, my bro- one of my brothers lives in oakland and mm-hmm. me and my wife were gonna visit uh her brother my my brother-in-law who lives in Menlo Park which is like an hour away from Oakland and and we were going to go visit my brother as well but on the way to Menlo Park that's when my brother calls me i was like in San Luis Obispo and he says dude dad is like about to die and so i he's like i am looking for flights right now and uh, i'm my i'm he's like i'm flying tonight and i said I'm just a couple hours away. Get me a ticket. I'll go with you. I'll pay you. So it just, the stars aligned so that me and my brother could travel together, thus mm-hmm. making the trip a little, just better. Just, yeah. just yeah. makes a little better. Try not tra- traveling by yourself 
for that kind of stuff sucks. Uh, and uh, it does. Just being by yourself in that kind of stuff sucks. Yeah, yeah. Just traveling for five hours in a plane on uh, where it's uh, so cr uh, crowded in COVID, it's yeah. terrible. Yeah. So we flew on uh, Saturday night and we arrived in Miami on Sunday morning. We saw our father uh, Sunday afternoon. That same day, we went to the hospital. Uh, he had suffered a, I mean, he had been in, in a coma for closer, for close to two weeks already. Things mm. took a turn for the worse. Uh, and then we saw him and he was still alive. Uh, though he had been revived, he had suffered a heart attack before and he got revived. And it just seems like he just waited for us. And mm. uh, we got there. They actually, it, they made a rare exception in this hospital. And I thank them for that. But they let us actually go inside the room one by one, wearing mm. the the all the protective gear, and it was something. It was it was it was it was sad. It was terrible. And it was so surreal for me. I was like, wow, I get to see uh, COVID nineteen and what it does to people and what it did to my dad. You know, uh, mm. uh, and yeah, I basically they said you have ten minutes because you don't want more too much exposure time. But my dad obviously was uh, asleep, so he was not coughing. There was there was less of risk of infection, yeah. and uh, he, yeah, I just said goodbye basically. I just said, Dad, I'm glad I got to be here. Uh, and and then 18 hours later, my father passed. Uh, yeah, wow. so th the three of us I'm got to sorry. see him. Yeah, but I'm glad I got to be there. I'm glad I got to be there for for my family for this thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I just actually, bef before doing this podcast, I went and got my COVID test. Right. I was going to ask you, I was like, are you quarantining or are you, what are you? I got one last week, but it, and it came back negative, but there is an incubation period. So yeah. I took one again just to make sure that I didn't catch anything on the flight back from Miami. Right. And mm -hmm. so uh, I'll get my results tomorrow. Hopefully it comes back negative and I can go play some soccer. So... Let's let's back it up a little bit and start from 1992. You're looking at the riots and thinking, oh, my God. But even before that, why were you going to the U.S.? Well, OK, so my mother in, in 1987, my aunt, one of my aunts came to the U.S. Uh, and she settled in Los Angeles mm -hmm. and uh, uh, she's now a U.S. citizen. So. Uh, and then my mother, the of the following year, decided to follow her, follow her uh, her steps, and uh, and left uh, in early 1988. Mm -hmm. uh, and so she left me and my brother, uh, and we lived in Honduras with our grandmother and our aunt for. I lived on about for about four years, and my brother followed uh, two years after I came. So he was there for six years. Uh, but man, I have. Childhood over there was great. Some of my best memories come from playing, uh, just playing soccer in the street. And then we, uh, and some of those roads weren't paved, so it was dirt, you know. So where in Honduras are you from? The, the capital, Tegucigalpa. And so your mom was already here. And what was the idea of going to America? What was the concept? Some people, some adults would always tell me like, 
oh, you're Maria's son. Oh, she's in the U.S. Just know that at some point you're going to have to leave this country, you know, meaning Honduras. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I kind of always thought that, you know, I remember when I, the time when I was leaving, I went to my my school, say goodbye to my, my school teacher and some of my classmates. Mm-hmm. And I remember she's like, oh, my God, it's so nice, so sweet. Send me some candy from over there. That's what I remember her telling me. <laughs> but uh, I love my time in Honduras. It was uh, really um, special. It's, I, even though I was nine years old, I remember a great deal of it. I still remember uh, being in school, and I remember doing, like, the civic uh, ceremonies. Uh, they would actually have us sing the national anthem. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. So it was cool. And what was the what was the most precious thing for you in in that childhood? Oof. Um lots of cool memories going to the town, going to the little town where my mom's from, the pueblo, and there there was no electricity back then, so most of the people just listened to radio and even then like you know you'd have to you have you'd have to go like buy batteries at this store, which is the only store in the town that sold them. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, uh, it would get pitch black there at night and you can hear the crickets and, uh, you look up in the sky and you see all the, all the stars, uh, and people were gifted storytellers, especially, uh, as, uh, stories that, that were like, uh, of, like the paranormal or like really scary stuff, you know, people supernatural had, stuff, supernatural stuff. Like, yeah, they had a talent when it came to that. Uh, of course, I was a kid, so I was very easily impressionable and gullible. And so I believed all this stuff. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And some, of course, there was always the jerk who, while we were st- telling stories around a bonfire, someone would sneak up behind you and say, the werewolves, you know, and, mm-hmm. ah, and you wake up and you jump or they, you know, they'll tell stories about like La Llorona and, uh, uh, El Cadejo or stories about, you know, just the scary stuff about like ghosts. I know La Llorona. What, who, yeah. who is the other one? El Cadejo is like this dog. It's like sort of a dog like thing uh, or animal that walks. If you're walking by and there's two different Cadejos. There's, there's the, the, the black one is where like, if you get the black Cadejo, means that something really bad is going to happen. And then if you get the white cadejo, it means that it could save your life. And those are just stray dogs in the street. Is that, is that what it, it is? It's sort of like that. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like a, a stray dog, but like it's just like a folk, folkloric tale, you know? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and then there there was, um yeah, there, there was other ones. There was La Carretilla Chillona, which is like this little cart that would pass by, and it would pass by. It means that someone's going to die. And oh my God, yeah, I still get scared just talking about this. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, so, so, do you remember what was the feeling about going to the states? Excitement. I was excited. You know, um, I remember I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna speak English." Well, yeah, I'm not English. And I was like, and then I remember once with my nanny, I, I would watch these American movies. I think I I forgot which movie it was, but. Um, and then I, I, uh, I was like, look, I told my nanny, look, I speak English. She's like, what? Say something. I was like, son of a bitch. And she said, <laughs> and she said, she put like a, she got really serious. She's like, don't ever say that to me again. That means she called it puta. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, Panchita. I'm so sorry. 
Um, so I was like excited, you know. I remember like trying to learn a couple words in English, but um, uh, yeah, and just excited that uh, I said I was going to. I'm gonna grow big because we have this thing where the states everyone eats good and grows a lot bigger and and taller uh, because the food is the nutrition is different, you know, and you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. People do grow big, not in good ways. Uh, not always in good ways. Yeah. Yeah. Too big. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, do you remember the day you were leaving? December twenty third, nineteen ninety one. Oh my god! I yeah, did not yeah. expect the date. I. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that. I remember that because uh, we left. My aunt went 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 there with her husband, and uh, and I asked her, "Why are we leaving the day before Christmas?" And she's like, "Oh, because we'll be in in LA by New Year's Day." Mm. Boy, was she wrong. Mm. It took a lot longer, but eventually, you know, after seven months, I I was able to uh, arrive to the states in in the, in the summer of '92. When you when you finally got there, where did you where did you live? Where did your mom live? My mom lived in Echo Park on the other side of Alvarado, in this little small in this small apartment. And I got there, and I remember the first time I saw my mom. I I hugged her. We hugged for God knows how long. How did how long did you not see her? For four mm-hmm. years, since eighty eight to ninety two. Wow. So it was four years, and uh, so it was a long hug. And, and my mom was pregnant. My mom was pregnant when she was 40 years old and she was pregnant with my little brother. First day, I remember taking a shower and uh, tripping that there was like hot water, you know? And I was like, oh my God, this is so nice. Over there, you, you want hot water, you have to fucking boil a big ass pot, you know, of, of mm. water. And, um, and then I remember that same night, she took me down to Echo Park Lake. And I called it Echo Park, and she's like, "It's actually Echo Park." And I said, "Oh, okay." Uh, <laughs> uh, and and then she took me to one of her friends, this Cuban lady. Her name was uh, Caridad. She lived with her son, and I remember going to the sink and opening one of the faucets. It said H, because I thought it was helado, which in Spanish is cold. Ow! And it came out really hot, and I was like, Ah! And then it's like, oh, yeah. I was like, I didn't open this one because this one's uh, the sea and that's caliente. Oh, my God. And he's like, no. He's like, Tupac, this is cold and this is hot. So I, there I was like, okay, hot, cold. Got it. You know, stuck. So- <laughs> that is a memorable experience. The way to learn. Yeah. That's hilarious. Uh, and so you went to school? I went to school. And what was it like? Did you speak English enough to I did study not. what was going on? I did, I did not. We went to the special uh, school called Bellagio Road Newcomer School. It was special. It was like a pilot thing that the LAUSD ran for several years. And this school was in Bel Air. It was in, in the middle of the, one of the most exclusive and affluent neighborhoods in L.A., Oh my God! Yeah, from and Echo was, Park. From Echo Park, we would get a bus, and then the bus would stop by several other schools and pick us up and take us to Bellagio Road Newcomer School. Uh, I loved that school because, I mean, I, I remember you would pass through these like nice pads, and I was like, "Wow, you know, this is like very like a suburban 
like life, life, you know, very um, wealthy, you know, it's like beyond. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is so much different than anywhere else that I've seen in this city. And uh, the school was great. There was uh, students from all over the, the world. Uh, it was the first time I, I it was the first time I saw uh, Armenian students. And I was like, what? And uh, I thought he was just a white kid. You know, it was like an Armenian kid. And he didn't speak English either. You know, and uh, and then there was a there was a Russian kid I remember, uh, Mikhail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was um, and then there was this kid that looked like one of my cousins. You know, a little dark kid. You know, I was like, hey, and I started start I started talking to him in Spanish, and uh, it turns out he was from Bangladesh. And I was like, oh, oh whoa! <laughs> it's just like mind blown. <laughs> and um, and kids from Korea, France, you know. Wow. So what was that program? It was a very special, unique school that they had. It, I guess it closed down in, uh, in, 19, in 2002. It was when it, it was like their, their final year. But oh. uh, it went for several years. Uh, my class was taught by this, uh, was all in Spanish. because We were the, the, the hmm. kids, the Spanish-speaking kids. So we had a Spanish-speaking uh, teacher who was uh her name was miss estrada i forgot her first name uh but i do have a picture of her um miss estrada and most of our uh classmates were from uh mexico and and el salvador Mm -hmm. and and it was uh guatemala there was a kid from there was a few kids from uh ecuador i think and Mm -hmm. uh one kid from peru and then it was like two kids me and another guy from honduras so all the kids in school were immigrants? Yes. It was so if it was your first year oh. in the country, you went to that school. It was taught in in all in Spanish. So and then the other classes they had I think they had Korean uh, teachers who spoke other languages and and yeah, wow. I don't know. Yeah, it was So hold on. I I'm always confused with American schools. Like was that a a, a public school or was it a private school? It was a public school. It was LAUSD. It was a LAUSD, and uh, it was um, public. Wow. Yeah. And that's a great, great program. Why did they shut down? That was a great program. I don't know. They, they just keep, we just keep regressing, man. That is so amazing. That's exactly what, what people need. Why shut this down? Like, there's well, more immigrants now. <laughs> back then, they had bilingual education. I mean, I've met people who learn uh who are bilingual who are americans who who are bilingual because of at some point they had bilingual education now if you go uh, a couple of decades back that was frowned upon you know that's when like assimilation was a thing where you had to assimilate and a lot of people just you know uh didn't teach their kids or you know they just try to uh, do everything in english so uh which now is not the case oh you want to add why subtract I saw one of my friends once and she was with her mother. And then I remember ordering something in Spanish. And then I said, uh, Lauren, you don't speak Spanish, do you? And she was like, no, dude. And then her mom was like, oh, yeah, I didn't teach my kids Spanish because I wanted them to get ahead in life in this country. And so I was like, wow, okay. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny because I had the kind of the opposite side of that experience because when I first got here, uh, from Russia and I started living in Echo Park which is very 
Latino uh, neighborhood and I would come into a store and people would start talking Spanish to me and I'd be like, uh, I didn't even know how to say I don't speak Spanish in Spanish because and they're like, I could see the the disappointment and I was like, I'm Russian and they're like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> then then you pass. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was Echo Park like? Echo Park is still like my favorite neighborhood in Los Angeles. I lived there for years. I didn't realize that you've lived there pretty much your whole life in America. What was it like then? Uh, Echo Park was mostly um, uh, Latino and Asian. Uh, but yeah, it was like everything. There was a lot of Latino stores. There was a lot of Latino bakeries. Uh, there was a lot of Cuban, a big Cuban community. Mm -hmm. Because back in the 60s, uh, when the Cubans started migrating, uh, fleeing from Cuba, from the Fidel regime, then they set a big community here in Echo Park. When I first moved to Echo Park, uh, it was 2011. And I remember even then, people, when I mentioned I'm in Echo Park, they were like, do you carry a gun? And I'm like, and I'm from Russia. <laughs> People don't carry guns in Russia. Like, so, so to me, that question was already absurd. And then I was like, well, why would I carry a gun? It's, it's a lovely neighborhood. I later learned that the neighborhood had problems at a certain time. Like, what was your feeling when you were living there in the 90s? Yeah, the neighborhood, Echo Park had a notoriety for being a very dangerous uh, neighborhood, you know, where there was a a huge gang presence mm -hmm. here, uh, which it was, uh, it, it was, it wasn't, um, you would hear shootings, mm -hmm. uh, often. well, back in those days, a lot of kids, like that, that's, that's kind of how you dress. Mm -hmm. You kind of dress like sort of gangsterish. If you see pictures from, even from girls, like they all wore makeup, like cholas, <sighs> you know, like it was rare when you would see someone who didn't mm -hmm. like shortly after I arrived, they were filming Mi Vida Loca. I didn't know. You know, I didn't know that they were filming uh, Mi Vida Loca. I just knew that they were filming something. So what was the, I mean, you were mentioning the, you're, you're talking about the gangs and stuff. And again, it's the, the perception I get from, from the news, from, from things I listen to and read, the neighborhoods like that can get tricky for young kids in terms of the pressure to join. Did you ever have to deal with that? I remember the first time I, one of the, during the first week that I was here, I remember my mom said, she did mention something about there being gang gangs here. And she said, I did not bring you to this country for you to become or to join one of these gangs. And so I had that very clear from the, for as soon as I got here, you know, that I would steer clear from such, um, you know, group of people, whatever. Uh, then, you know, I, I was trying to make friends because I find myself to be a big loner. I'm and, sure. And, uh, and I was trying to make friends and I made some friends and, uh, these kids, but th these kids were like, you know, a year or two older than me. Some were my age, mm -hmm. some were a little older. And I remember going, we all went for a walk once, uh, and it was like six of us. And we went to this little, uh, we went to several stores, but we, I remember this particular one. Uh, and, uh, these kids were like shoplifting and I mm. was like, but I wasn't cool with that. You know, I'm like, I don't do that. I don't steal. And, mm -hmm. uh, all these kids stole something. And I remember the, the owner, he, uh, he, he basically grabbed me by the arm and he's like, did you steal something? And I was like, no, 
And he's like, don't ever come back here. And I was like, okay. So I knew that these kids uh, were starting to get into trouble. And mm-hmm. shortly after, some of those guys uh, joined uh, tagging crews, which was what like, is that? Uh, you know, tagging crews that would like write, they would do graffiti around, you know, the neighborhood or the neighborhoods. Oh, what's the purpose of that? It, to express themselves, I guess, and to, it's a form of expression, you know, graffiti through graffiti oh, okay. and, and, uh, but then also, I, I mean, some of these tagging crews were, um, they were more like tag bangers. It was that one step that you took before you actually joined in a, a gang. Now, some of the taggers never joined gangs. A lot of them did because, you know, after a while, certain neighborhoods would claim, uh, certain taggers. So, you know, after you've been tagging and then, then the next step was to join the, you know, join a gang. Uh, I saw a lot of guys do that. Uh, of course, I never did. I never took uh, part of that. I was too, too afraid of the consequences, you know, and rightly, rightfully. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. That's a good thing. <laughs> and then in, in school, and I met some, a couple of guys who were starting to uh, get into that little, that world, you know that world of getting into trouble, of getting into fights, you know, of, of shoplifting or going stealing. Uh, some of these, some of these kids already were starting to, you know, experiment with drugs. And, and, uh, and then by the time we got to uh, middle school, when I went to King, uh, a lot of these guys were already in, you know, getting into some trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and back in those days, I mean, we talking about the mid nineties. I was like a lot of, there were a lot of, gangs that have had a big recruitment numbers you know a lot of kids yeah. would join gangs you know uh, or, or or if not you'd just be a tagger you know i remember so many times i would get hit up like hey do you write do you write and i thought i was like yeah when i write yeah i write my name i write stuff and at school but i didn't know what they meant it was like you do you write on the walls mm. and put, no, like, no i don't do that mm. um and then uh yeah um and uh, man, girls, uh, it was a trip. It was a trip seeing uh, uh, some of the guys that I grew up with, you know, get into, um, you know, like all of a sudden uh, they were bald and then they wore like these really huge pants, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then they had this like very tough guy attitude, you know, they had completely changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had this, yeah. So yeah, it was uh, growing up. It was it was weird. You started talking about the girls. You said girls were a trip. Well, so a lot that? of girls love the gangsters, man. Girls love the gangsters. Like I remember, <laughs> I, had, I had a crush on this one girl, and she just lo- like she ended up, you know, like liking a bunch of like tough, like mean looking dudes, you know. And what were you like? I was, you know, I was too of a nerdy. For her. Uh, they they would call me um, I, I was just like a paisa, you know, like they I wasn't like fully americanized you know i mm-hmm. uh i spoke spanish uh i played soccer what is paisa paisa is like you're from the motherland you're not, you're not uh. like uh you're not americanized you, huh. know? you still did that upset like, you no uh no because i knew that was what i was i was um paisa like i i listen to yes i listen to spanish music i dress a certain way i don't dress like a gangster but did you find friends eventually yeah yeah i found some friends through this uh, youth center that I started uh, going to. And some of those guys, are uh, we were friends for a long time. Uh, and throughout, until throughout high school, you know. 
And what was that youth center for? It was called uh, Sunset Junction Youth Center. It was ran by a guy named Michael McKinley. This guy uh, ran the uh, the Sunset Junction Street Fair, which is one of the biggest carnivals in L.A. Uh, and it was it celebrated the gay community and the Latino community. It was a huge event. During late August, Sunset Boulevard was shut down, and you just have like a acts a musical acts and you'd have uh, carnival rides and you'd have live music i mean it was amazing it was and vendors uh and you know like gay people from all over the world would come and really and, you know, I, I worked at youth center so I, I a couple of years i helped i would close the streets it was some of my earliest jobs you know i was like 14 years old mm -hmm. magical time um like the mid to or late 90s you know uh, the music was great. Oh my God, the music was great. The movies too. I mean, everything was just awesome. Yeah, I know. It seems like it was a special time everywhere. Things went kind of much more intense after. Pre 9 11, you know? Yeah. Bill Clinton was president, and yeah, it was, things were great. It was a different world, that's for different sure. Different world. Oh my God. So when you got here and you saw where you're at and you kind of got the lay of the land, what was what became your ambition? What what did you want to do with yourself? Um, well, I really didn't know. When I was thirteen, uh, the guy at the youth center, Michael, got me a gig at the LA Opera House as an extra, and so I started getting into that. I wanted to be an actor, mm -hmm. and then in the following year, I did a play. I remember, and uh, and but then I didn't follow it up in school, and um, and then I got I started hanging around with the wrong people. Um, in high school and I kind of uh, lost my ways and you know I dropped out and yeah then I started working and uh, yeah I, I tried going to college but I just I just wouldn't stick so I decided to just keep working and mm -hmm. so what did you do I just had little odd like jobs here and there you know minimum wage minimum wage but then I uh, it was like mid 2000s in the mid 2000s I saw that they had opened this little cute coffee shop like up the street from where I lived and I saw that there was a it was frequented by a lot a lot of white people went there I I got this job at Chango and then next thing you know I started making friends with a lot of people at in my neighborhood yeah you're sort of a spirit of the neighborhood that's where I met my wife oh really that's so nice. She would come in and I would tell her these terrible uh, dad jokes. And she would like, she was like, you, do you want to hear a joke? And she would tell me an even more terrible dad jokes. <laughs> so we're like, okay, we like this. Um, we like that kind of humor. That's funny. So kind of fast forwarding to right now, do you, do you feel that you're American? Yes. Yes, uh, I do. I love, uh, I love baseball. <laughs> damn it i'm never gonna be american by that standard yeah i can't yeah, even I understand how it works yeah well uh, i feel american because um i would i mean i remember right after 9-11 i tried to um i tried to enlist oh wow but of course um i mean at that time it was, they had a lot of plenty of guys who were who were showing up uh but yeah i remember when uh when 9-11 happened i i remember i sobbed that entire day i mean i I wow. sobbed for 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 an entire week. Oh, the whole world sobbed. Yeah, I was like, it hurt. You know, I was like, wow. We celebrate Thanksgiving, and I mean, 
it's kind of hard to describe what an American actually is, but all I know is that deep down, like I do have, first of all, I'm Central American. You're a double American. Double American, United States in, or. <laughs> Did you ever consider going back? Just to visit. I'd like to go to visit, uh, not to live over there. I think I, I've spent all my life here and this is what I know. And, and, you know, I have, um, my family here and my friends here, um, it would just be really hard for me to, you know, start, start over in a place where I'd actually be a, I would be a foreigner sort of. You know, of course. And, and yeah. yeah. I understand by now, but I, I meant more like when you were, when you were younger, when you were a kid, maybe when you were adjusting, like, did you ever feel like, Oh, this is hostile. This is not me. I will never fit here. I'm going to no, go. I never, no, I never felt like that actually. I just I knew that, um, uh, a lot of my friends who, a lot of my friends just assumed I was from here. You know, they didn't know my story. They didn't know that I was born in Honduras. They didn't know that I was right. here. Well, I guess that makes sense because Echo Park is a very Latino neighborhood. And because for me, it was, everything was very foreign. I mean, and it took a long time to adjust. Yeah. I, yeah. And it just, um, then seeing the neighborhood change in 2004 is when I knew like that Echo Park had changed. And then my neighborhood had become gentrified. In 2004, I thought it happened 10 years later. No, in 2004, Pioneer Market closed its doors. It was a Latino-oriented market that it was like a staple. It had been there for for decades. And when it closed its doors and then a Walgreens opened up, we're like, okay, things are really changing here. And then you started seeing other businesses close because the clientele dwindled. And, uh, and then the shift of the demographics, you know, more people started buying homes. And and then Chango opened with all the white people. Ch Chango opened with, yeah. So 2004, Chango opens. I guess it was like the first wave of gentrification. Yeah, it was. It was the first and wave. And then I, I got in there in 2010 because I remember the when the second wave of gentrification hit in yeah. 2015 and already people like me were having a hard time finding a place there. Yeah. And now, I mean, I can tell that you're still in the neighborhood, which is great because you're the spirit of the neighborhood and you can't leave. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, me and my, my wife, we're lucky that we, you know, have a, a place that's, you know, uh, affordable. Uh, my mom and my brother are still here. We are very lucky. I don't know for how much longer, uh, but I, I have to stay here now. Uh, well, I don't have to, but you know, I just got elected into the Echo, Echo Park Neighborhood Council, and uh, right, that's what I want to talk about. Yeah, how did that come about? Um, oh man, uh, I wanted to do something to get involved with you know with the community, and uh, and then I just uh, put my put in my application, and then I went to the meeting, and um, there was three other women who were white. And who were running for the seats, and um, and who had a be I think they had a better record than me, or I think they were just better qualified, I guess. But I've been here for a long time, and I, I guess my speech was very short and simple. And uh, and I was just like, I want to be here because I want to help the community. I've noticed that there has been an ongoing homelessness problem that has been increasing over uh, the last few years, and I like to be able to to help and and. I also speak several languages. I like to be able to translate some of these stuff, some of the stuff to reach uh, to the Latino community. And so then I got elected by a landslide. Well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, everyone knows you. So I think it 
makes total sense. You didn't have to worry about the recognizability as most politicians. <laughs> it's all new because it's I, it's it happened three weeks ago. So congrats! I think it's so cool that you did that. Yeah, I'm hosting my first uh, event in a few weeks. Oh, what is that? It's for the uh, Women League of uh, Voters. It should be great. There, there's a lot of stuff now. That, so I'm back in school full time, and it's just life starts getting, you know, it's starts getting better. You know, it's just, yeah, it's busy. <laughs> and good. what do you attribute that change to? Um. Uh, Okay, so it's four and a half years ago I got sober. Congratulations. Uh, and uh, it's been great. So I attribute some of that to leaving the, the booze. My major will be in journalism. And I love writing stories about uh, Echo Park and growing up. Eventually, um, I want to either get into Spanish language uh, journalism, be involved like uh, with the Latino community, and, uh, and do a lot of stuff in, in, in Espanol. That makes sense. That's a great destination. Not really a big fan of remote learning or online learning, but um, it is what it is. And that's what we have to deal with until basically 2022. Oh, my God. Really? Well, okay. So the winter and spring semester. So the fall, winter and spring semesters at my school, uh, they just announced that, w that they will be online. Wow. Hopefully by fall of next year or a year from now, campuses will reopen to students. I'm sure masks, some masks will be either required or, or social distance. I don't know what's going to happen, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy how, you know, we used to live kind of week to week in this COVID reality, wow. month to month. And now it kind of settled into this, like, okay, this is here for long whole they're gonna have to announce at one point like okay it's okay to not wear a mask well like let's say a few years from now right because people some people are gonna be want to wear a mask forever yeah ptsd yeah i mean i'm all for wearing masks for you know but i know at some point i i we have to get back to whatever it was well the only kind of hope I'm holding on to is I'm thinking about how it's really not the first time humanity is dealing with something like that. Like there was plague before and life went on and we figured it out and we went back to being normal humans. So that's that's the hope. I know I know you have to go soon. I just want to ask you if there's something else that we skipped in your immigrant journey that you wanted to share and mention. Oh, I'm just uh, looking forward to uh, visiting back home because I have not uh, I have not been there in almost 30 years. Oh. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing my aunt. You know, unfortunately, uh, you know, when I first when I came from Honduras, um, I didn't think that when I left that it would that I wouldn't see my grandma alive again. Oh. She passed away last year. I thought I'd you know I'd I'd have uh, enough time to see her. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. But there's, I, I've also more family over there that I haven't seen, and so mm. uh, I'm looking forward to uh, you know seeing their, seeing them, and to you know give them a big hug and and just to catch up. Um, I know that when the moment I visit Honduras, I'm probably gonna cry because I'm a big crier, uh, <laughs> and uh, I can't wait to take my wife to some of the parts where I grew up at. You know. Uh, Are you nervous to go? Do you think? Yes, be... yes, I am. What I are am you nervous? Uh, well, so 
the neighborhood where I live uh, in Tegucigalpa, apparently it is now uh, like gangs are, are, are control that na- that part of the the country. Oh no! So my friend, my uh, someone said to me, "Oh yeah, where you were where you used to live, like you can't just get in there, you know, like you will get robbed, or possibly, oh, wow. you know, or possibly worse." Wow. Uh, so um. I just know that I I'm probably not gonna be able to get off the car and to like check like walk around the the, the old neighborhood. You know, mm. I, I do want to pass by in the car, but like you know, just just pass by. Wow, uh, that's yeah. odd. Because yeah, so since I since I arrived, there has been a you know a, a, the gangs took over in 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 the the nineties and the two thousands. So, because of is that uh, all over the country or all over? Yeah, I mean that's all. Um, you know, Guatemala, Salvador, Honduras, they have to deal with uh, the maras, you know, the gangs. Uh, or uh, and there's a a lot of that, and and yeah. So there's a lot of insecurity over there. A lot of um, you know, uh, and there's a uh, impunity. There's a lot of impunity. People, you know. Uh, people, you know, there's a lot of murders, and you know, they never catch the police, never catch the people who do it or commit them. So, um, but I'm gonna go to a safer part. You know, when I get there, some like someone will tell me like, okay, you go here, you don't go there. You know, you steer away from this part. Yeah, um, everything is changing all the time, and it's this odd feeling of being a foreigner in your own country. Yeah, yeah, it definitely. But aside from that, I can't wait to um, you know contribute more to my community and to continue growing as a human being uh, and to help out as much as I can uh, and to make a difference. I'm living the best years of of, of my life right now. Uh, that's without a doubt. When people say, "Oh, my twenties were the the best years," I'm like, I think the, when I enter my forties, it'll be the best years. Uh, I'm in my and I'm 37 and uh yeah i the last these last four years have been truly amazing i've been blessed with a with a beautiful amazing wife uh i've been blessed with you know having my you know my mom and my brother living nearby uh and having a loving family um and have, having a lot of awesome friends you know and um yeah that's yeah. very lucky yeah you look happy so that's the most important thing yeah i'm very happy yeah I just want to say I love Los Angeles. I'm very blessed to have landed in such an amazing cosmopolitan uh, town that's filled with all kinds of nationalities and, and, and where more than 150 languages are spoken. Yeah, that's what I love most about LA too. I, I love that I landed at this at, in this neighborhood. Um, it's, uh, it's taught me so much and I've met the most amazing people here. I'm an Angelino by heart. And uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Thank you, Sasha. Okay. Spasiba. Thank you, Tupac. Spasiba. Spasiba. That's it for today. I hope it was fun. I hope it was interesting. Let me know what you think. And please share. And remember, we're here to stay. We'll find our way. Thank you for listening. Love you all. Peace.